Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending when you're tuning into this episode 105. That's episode number one of season three of Hypnosis Week, as in hypnosisweek.com. It's me, Alex William Smith, by birth here with you, but better known to many of you as the British bad boy of hypnosis, Jonathan Royal. And boy, have I got an amazing guest for you. I, I mean, this arguably could be the most uh, amazing one of certainly in the top three of the amazing guests I've had in all of the podcast. If you're on the, one of the video platforms, you'll be able to see him next to me. I'll introduce him in a moment. But I just want to read you this from his website, okay? As an emergency physician, Dr. Beerman became renowned for performing painless procedures like simple injections, laceration repairs, and even childbirth. But his studied words and gestures did far more than just prevent pain. They also produced astonishing physical outcomes. Dangerous heart rhythms converted to normal. Hemorrhages arrested and constricted airways dilated. In private practice, Dr. Beerman went further along the communication continuum to forestall autoimmune diseases, shrink deadly tumours, relieve depression and ensure bloodless surgeries. Many of his cures seem like miracles. And yet, as Dr. Beerman explains, they are the inevitable consequence of a new and expanded understanding of disease causality and the focused power of ideas to access our healer within. Yes, indeed. You may have guessed from that, can I give you a clue to who my next guest is, he is the author of a book that I'm going to tell you up front I'm biased towards, okay, because I've actually read it, and in my 30, well, a little over 33 years of uh, professional involvement in hypnosis, but longer than that studying it, I have to say this rates definitely in the top three books I've read of all time and anyone who knows me knows I read at least a book a week and I've done all that time you can see it's called healing um healing beyond uh pills and portions core principles for helpers and healers it's by the man I'd like to introduce to the show right now all the way from America Dr Steve Beerman medical doctor that's not a fancy bought doctorate a medical doctor and believe me having read this I'm telling you a bloody expert in the power of suggestion. Welcome to the show, sir. Good to be here. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. You, hey, you deserve way more, but I don't want to take up all this time. I want to get straight to the point. But before we get to the point of the book, its contents, and wow, that the eye-opening, direct-to-the-point revelations, there's more. If I'd have had this book 33 years ago, it would have saved me years of bloody study and refinement um, in my career, albeit I'm not a, I'm not a medical practitioner um, who I know I'm not, I'm not a caregiver in the sense of what this book's aimed at, but I still say that not just should that target market read it, but everyone with any interest in hypnosis should do. So tell us, how did you come from being born to being a medical doctor to then into involving hypnosis and writing, I would argue, one of the best books of all time. Uh, a brief life history from birth? Well, yeah, yeah. Tell us about 
about you? Because obviously we're all a product of our environment and upbringings, aren't we? Well, I'm third generation MD. My uh, grandfather worked during the depression in East St. Louis and uh, worked for Barter and he was a family doctor. Uh, my father was a ophthalmologist and um, had dabbled in hypnosis himself become because he was untrained, a little scared of its power and shied away from it. And uh, which incidentally is something I learned only much, much later in my life. Um, I went into family practice originally, having always wanted to be a physician. And um, I felt both uh, unprepared at the end of my residency and um, somewhat somewhat bored. I hadn't really uh, dialed into what I now know are the most fascinating aspects of, of any patient caregiver encounter. And so to me at the time, uh, it was boring and, and I fled, if you will, into emergency medicine where I worked as a full-time uh, ER physician for 20 years. Uh, I would say about, <clears throat> excuse me, about five or six years into uh, my emergency medicine practice, I was, I was somewhat overwhelmed by not only the amount of pain and suffering that we would see on any given day, but actually by the amount of pain and suffering that I would inflict uh, from doing the various procedures I, I was called upon to, to do. And those would range from um, simple injections, as you mentioned, uh, to much more complex procedures that were um, diagnostic, semi-surgical uh, procedures or childbirth or a whole ho host of others. And so I began to seek for some method or methods uh, to diminish at least the suffering I, I was seeing. I was really lucky. Um, I, uh, if you'll remember way back when there was this guy, Tony Robbins was having people firewalk. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I had seen firewalking prior to that in uh, Bali, Indonesia, and sort of set it aside as a religious faith-based phenomenon and given it very little thought, although it was wondrous and I couldn't explain it. Um, Tony Robbins was having these uh, secular gatherings where people were taking off their shoes and socks and, and walking over uh, red hot oak coals, you know, 10 meters of oak coals. And I went uh, to one of his sessions just to watch and um, ended up, uh, as you can imagine, ended up taking off my shoes and socks and walking over uh, the coals with some friends of mine. Uh, and I, I, at the end of that, I realized I'm not going to be able to explain this firewalking thing, but something uh, very unusual happened in that afternoon. Three or four hundred uh, apparently normal people, at least the ones I came with, um, sat down and listened to Tony Robbins talk for uh, two hours and then, in a sense, shed their normalcy with their shoes and socks and walked over red hot coals and no one got hurt. And so I became fascinated and how did he do that? How did he convince these people uh, to do that? And it turned out uh, that he was a student as, as I'm sure you know, he's a student of uh, 
uh, neurolinguistic programming, John mm -hmm. Grinder. And John was uh, uh, teaching a few days after I found this out, he was teaching a three or four day uh, course in on the East Coast of the United States. And I flew up over to Philadelphia and started studying with him. Um, so I studied with him, became credentialed in neurolinguistic programming. I'm, I'm very honored to say he and I have stayed friends for um, all these many decades. Now he's a wonderful, uh, amazing guy, probably the smartest guy I've ever met. Um, and then I, I came back to San Diego and began a formal hypnosis studying with Steve Gilligan, who's a protege of Milton Erickson. And I studied with Steve for uh, two years. I'd, I'd drive up to Encinitas and uh, be in a trance for an hour uh, with Gilligan, not know what went on, come out of it, go directly to my emergency room shift and see 30 to 60 patients. And often I'd have, you know, six or eight people in trance at any given time. That's kind of how it started. Um, something happened along the way, if I can add this. Please do, yeah. The emergency room, when I started doing this, was relatively slow. You have time to pause and uh, think and talk to people. And it wasn't as much hectic and mayhem as, as people uh, tend to think. But over time, things sped up. And so we went uh, from seeing, say, 600 or so uh, patients a month, 12, 15, 1800 patients a month. And it was one doctor on at a time. So I was forced by this acceleration uh, to abandon the sort of formal hypnotic teachings that I had learned and to extemporize methods uh, that got the job done. And it was, it was because of that uh, urgency uh, that I was also compelled to rethink what's going on. Because as you said, um, I've converted in my career, I've converted lit literally every cardiac arrhythmia, except ventricular fibrillation, which is fatal, um, was simply ideas, words. But by and large, that's not required any kind of formal trance induction. Uh, it's, it's required perhaps some indirect suggestion and uh, some you know, nuanced verbiage, maybe. Uh, but really, it's, those results have sprung from the authority, if you can imagine, that an ER physician has by virtue of the helplessness and dependency of the patients and the fact that you're the one guy in the room who's the least uncertain. You mentioned authority and obviously if caregivers will get so much out of this in the context of the way you've used it, what hypnotherapists, when you read this book, whenever it mentions about being the, you know, the least uncertain person in the room, the person in authority, having read this, 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 put it in conjunction with any hypnosis book you've seen where it talks about being the authority figure. It's the same thing. And it's, I don't think enough hypnotherapists actually put enough focus on building up their prestige in the eyes of the client enough. And this book is a, it's the best education in that, without a doubt, sir. 
So what I'd like you to do is talk us through a few things in this book, which if people don't go straight away to the link below this video or this audio podcast speaker and order it, you are a fool. I mean, at the moment on Audible, if you sign up to Audible for a free trial, you can listen to the audio book for free. But I still buy the print edition as well, because then you can make notes. This is the book to work with. Having said that, Hopefully, Steve's going to tell us a bit more. There's some bullet points I saw in a tweet that you bought out yesterday. And it said these bullet points were that most issues you've uh, come across have their roots in either dangerous identifications from childhood or unhealthy wishes, e.g. wish I could get out of this situation no matter what, or curses by an authority figure or adverse conditioning. Could you tell the listeners a little bit more about those four bullet points and that tweet. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, let me give you a little ramp into that question. Okay. And um, I'll begin with where we are today in, in traditional Western medicine. That's all right. Um, yeah. Most people out there probably don't realize that uh, traditional Western docs, we're not taught to think of you as people with wishes and hopes and aspirations and fears and disappointments and so forth, all the things that we interact together with. Uh, rather, we're, we're taught to think of you as a, as a collection of cells and molecules and atoms and uh, material stuff and only material stuff. And uh, so it's no wonder when uh, we get in our search for cause, when we get to a material cause, uh, a word is caused by a virus, a tumor is caused by a mutation, and autoimmunity is caused by, well, we're not so sure, but you've got these uh, autoantibodies that are attacking you. We stop there because our the, the science underpinning uh, modern medicine says that's all there is. What I learned is, uh, and, and again, this began in the emergency department, but I've had a, a separate practice for um, 30 years now, uh, medical hypnosis practice, what I learned is that there's two sides to this equation. On the one hand, there are the ideas that we as authorities um, offer our patients, and they become operative when they become the patient's ideas, either through rapport or linkage or authority, which we can talk about later. But the hypnotic method is a way uh, in which to make our ideas your ideas, and thus they become operative, which tells you right there that the ideas of the patient, the ones they already possess, especially the unconscious ones, may be operative and may be either helping to sustain health, or as is frequently the case when, when you're a physician seeing people, um, those ideas might be deleterious and really doing serious harm from the inside. Mm -hmm. And so I, I learned, and, and this will surprise some of your listeners, I think, I learned that there's one question there's that, that we need to ask, and it's the simplest, uh, there you go. Yeah, that's it, exactly. It's the simplest thing. You have to ask it the right way. But uh, let's say uh, <laughs> I was seeing 
three or four heart attacks. Those people listening who didn't see me hold up what I held up, that question is. Why today? Yeah. So I would see, say, uh, three or four people a day with heart attacks, if you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, frequently they come in and it's, um, there's a lot to do right away and you've got to get on it and stabilize them and stop the pain and make sure the rhythm is normal and set up what needs to be done in uh, immediate uh, short-term and long-term follow-up. But once that's done, there's usually a moment, a moment of just stillness where they're waiting for a bed or waiting for the cath lab. Or... And so what I learned was I can walk up to them and say, and this is how to say it and say, uh, you know, this is going to sound a little strange, but I'm just thinking, you know, you, 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 you probably could have had this heart attack a month or ago or two months ago, or I imagine uh, a week from now or two weeks from now, and you're not going to know why uh, it happened. And I'm not going to pretend to know why. But if you had to guess, uh, and I mean just guess, no thinking, if you had to guess, why today? Just guess. And that is a, as it turns out, is a magic question. The way you present it is it's a little disarming. There's no resistance, it's casual afterthought, right? Um, and the, I think yeah. that's a brilliant uh, eyes open induction as well that you formulated there because there's confusion and disorientation built in. It's perfect. Right. Um, and and uh, the guess is a whisper from the unconscious. And here's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you, and I'll just give you some that I, I heard frequently. Um, one guy would say, uh, gee, gee, I don't know, Doc. Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that my mother-in-law just moved in for six months or yeah I don't I don't know but I'll tell you I just can't stand my job anymore I do almost anything to get out of it or I had one attorney who say yeah I'm not sure doc but um you don't think I'm looking for some physical excuse to get out of my practice so my partners don't think I'm I'm a wuss and on and on, you get these uh, uh, various reasons. All of those that I just told you are uh, what I call baleful wishes. It's the wish to retreat into illness, mm-hmm. which in Western society starts as a, you know, a little boy or little girl wishing to get out of some potentially humiliating moment at school and then gets reinforced with ice cream and jello and a mother's love and cartoons. And, and so you have a baleful wish reinforced and this thing becomes a pattern in one's life. So uh, unhealthy wishes are, are quite common when you, when you begin to dig for causes. Um, you mentioned in my tweet, I said uh, dangerous identifications yeah. and this is, uh, for many people, this is a really hard concept to grasp because uh, you may not realize it, but our culture has a strong bias against recognizing this. Um, it's almost as if it's not in the uh, visible spectrum. Uh, we, we, you know, Freud gave a, a polite nod to what he called the imitative uh, propensity. Oh, we have a tendency to imitate we humans. Mm-hmm. But that's not true at all. It's an imitative imperative. 
And all of us should recognize that as children. Uh, of course, we had uh, to identify uh, with, with an authority. And that authority frequently is the mother or the father or, or some other uh, figure in the household, depending on the structure of the family. And what happens with identification, people don't really understand this, is it's a unconscious download of literally everything how to relate to the world, which we all accept. We know that's part of identification. Also, how to choose, relate to, have dynamics with a spouse. That's in your program, whether you know it or not. And it's, it's why so many people make a mistake in the first choice of their spouse. They choose their mother or choose their father, and it either works or it runs them over a cliff. But the other thing that you get in this identification in childhood, which is, I think, almost never mentioned, is um, an understanding of how to relate to yourself. Is there self-love and trust? Is there um, self-disgust or blame uh, or other, other dynamics? And all of these things are inputted and the program runs until and uh, you disidentify. And what I, I've learned, Jonathan, is that many of the people who come to see me who are really ill, often with undiagnosable syndromes, you know, they've seen 50 or 100 docs and had everything done and nobody can figure it out. They're engaged in a dangerous identification that has carried forward from their uh, youth. And here's the key thing. The identification is, doesn't run to the particulars. It doesn't run to the details. It's thematic. So for example, I had, um, if you can imagine this, and this was, uh, it was uh, eye-opening even for me. I had a 72-year-old guy who came in. He had had a motorcycle accident with his wife for no identifiable reason. Crushed his shoulder, multiple surgeries, rehab, became very depressed came to see me for his depression. It turned out, I got this on my second session with him, when his father was 70, he had a motor vehicle accident, broke his back. It's not the particulars, it's the theme. He broke his back, he went into rehab and was very, very depressed. He learned in rehab, his father, that his business partner of many, many decades had absconded with the business's money and became so depressed he committed suicide. I then found out that my patient had likewise been embezzled and he discovered it. Yeah, he discovered it during rehab. And suddenly I was forced to realize I'm not treating garden variety depression here. This is a suicide waiting to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> And so I will say that these, and, and you may think that's exceptional, it's not. That when, when, you, when you ask, tell me about your mom and dad when you were little, what were they like? And you figure out who they've identified with. And then you track that forward. Frequently, you'll get to the root cause of whatever the uh, presenting disaster is. And all of these things, I have to say, the list you ran off, they're all treatable. They're all treatable. And what happens when you treat those root causes is, boom, you get a, 
a cure. It's not the end of the presenting ailment. It's the, it's the end of illness and people return to health and they begin to thrive. It's, it's massively, I mean, it's massively powerful reading the examples in the book. Um, curses by authority figures. That's the one I'm going to. Yeah, well, I know you know this. Um, this is happening as we speak. And it's happening in almost every doctor's office uh, all over the world. I'll give you some examples. The, the, the most aggravating one for me is, well, you've got a chronic illness. You'll just have to learn to live with it. Um, the word chronic is in and of itself a curse. Nobody knows that. Of course, nobody knows uh, that there's not a cure around the corner for whatever the ailment happens to be. So there is no chronic illness. There are illnesses that are currently appear to be untreatable, at least for that specialist. It doesn't mean that you or I can't do something different and perhaps help the person or cure the person. So that's a common curse. Um, People going to surgery, this is, uh, I, I hear this literally every day because I do a lot of pre-surgical hypnosis. Um, their uh, doctor will often say, the surgeon will often say, well, it'll, it's, there's going to be pain and we'll try our best to manage your suffering. That's a massive curse right there. And it'll probably take you a year to get back to normal. Um, and the power of a surgeon, his authority, and the sense of helplessness and dependency on the part of the patient, make that idea the, of the surgeon, the idea of the patient becomes operative. And it's very, very harmful because I know you know this from the book, but um, this would be hard for some of your listeners, I, th I think, to believe, because uh, sometimes it's even hard for me to believe 30, 35 years into it. Mm -hmm. Surgery, there, there doesn't have to be bleeding. There doesn't have to be any bleeding. Um, it, it doesn't need to be painful in recuperation. People uh, wake up and feel delightfully surprising comfort. It's one of the things that reading this, um, I was so delighted to read the chapter that, uh, and start reading about how to have the drive. I'll let you obviously explain this more because the only time in any great depth I've ever seen that kind of thing spoken about before, I know there's numerous books out there, but in any, in any level where it seemed credible, um, I've forgotten the exact title, but it was um, not hypnotism in India. It was, the report of the operations, you mention it in here. Edsdale's book. That's it, Edsdale's book. And immediately that jumped into my head and then you mentioned it in here. I thought, the point is, well, you're still alive. Hooray, fantastic. You're a person that right now, I, and that's when I was like, one by hook or by crook, I'm getting this man on Hypnosis Week because listeners and viewers, you've got to get this book and you've got to bear in mind the answer to what I'm about to ask Steve right now. Please tell them about how it is. And I know you've just said it, but give them more info. Now it's possible to do surgery where A, 
in case of emergency, there may not be a need for anaesthesia or a reduced need, or there can be in less discomfort until such kicks in, where there doesn't have to be blood everywhere. It can be, as you refer to it in the medical term, a dry field, and where they can recover with far more comfort and speed and and. This is not just something from a history book of the past, a thing of myth that people have forgotten. This is something you've been doing regularly, isn't it? I do it every week. Um, and I actually, sadly, but um, to just to preserve my energy, I, I have to turn people away constantly. Um, I'll tell you, it's, uh, I, I don't use uh, pre-surgical hypnosis to avoid anesthesia because that machine has got a lot of momentum and it's running hard. Um, I understand that people have selected their surgeon already. He will misspeak um, inadvertently. Uh, you know, no, they're often very kind and compassionate. They just haven't been instructed how to, how to talk, the meaning of their words. So I wanna protect them from curses. <clears throat> but everyone wants to keep their blood, have a bloodless surgery, not require transfusions, or risk infection and so forth. Everyone would love to wake up much to their surprise and discover that they don't require any medication, that they're actually quite comfortable. And uh, also everyone, of course, would love to heal faster than anyone anticipates. Um, and in, in fairness, <clears throat> excuse me, to people uh, in, in medicine, they're taught a certain thing. They're taught this takes 14 days, this takes 10 days, this takes three months. And so they're, they're continuing to curse people with that, not knowing that there's um, alternative faster healing that can happen. Let me, let, let me give you, do we have time for a quick? Yeah, please, 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 please. Someone I really love very much, someone dear, dear, dear to my heart, um, I noticed one day that she was quite uh, pale and I'll, I'll call her Rosie for this uh, interview. And I said, Rosie, I'm concerned about your pallor. Plus it looks like you're losing weight. Can you get this checked out? So she did, it turned out she had colon cancer, left-sided colon cancer. So she needed to go in for a left hemicolectomy, half the colon removed and uh, exploration of the lymph nodes uh, which is way deep in the abdominal cavity and often results in a great uh, degree of post-operative pain. So I said, Rosie, um, she knew what I did. I said, you know, can you give me an hour and a half? And as you know, I always do this the night before. So because that, why? Because the night before surgery is when your patient is most helpless and most dependent and therefore your authority is greatly magnified and plus, it's plus i imagine in many cases they are excuse the language but viewers know that i just say it in the northern british way shit scared a lot of them and fear yeah. is fear is i would argue that theater cat in the headlights i would argue that is kind of hypnosis well and certainly magnifies our authority doesn't yeah. it and so in in uh, I induced, uh, uh, we talked, I induced a hyp hypnotic uh, trance and I um, 
delivered three simple suggestions. And as you know, I tend to deliver them uh, indirectly and metaphorically. And when in deep trance, I'll emphasize certain direct su suggestions because the deeper they are, it's really the greater my authority is. And that's a great education for hypnotherapists alone. The way you do it in those three different ways yeah. weaved together is beautiful. Thank you. And uh, it's uh, you want to state these things in the positive. So you're not going to say, don't bleed. That's like saying, don't spill the milk. Um, so you say, keep your own blood every drop. And then I go on a metaphor of a dry field because I've already told her surgeons call that a dry field. So there's a beautiful opportunity for a metaphor of a dry field as wind blows through it, it whispers, keep your own blood, keep every drop. Now, your viewers should know um, before, during, or after, you have to tell them that outside of any dry field, there can be a generous well. So if a lab technician or a nurse needs to start an IV, a cannula, or draw blood, of course you can give that blood before or after surgery. Because this works so well that, <clears throat> I've made this mistake twice, this works so well that if you don't say that, they're gonna get stuck 12 to 15 times, literally, that, I'm not exaggerating, to draw their blood, even if they're generally an and easy- And I love your honesty because in here, you do relate some of your, I wouldn't say screw ups, I know you refer to them as failures, but they were learning experiences and by sharing them that is a massive lesson in itself so you know good man yeah thanks so keep your own blood delightfully surprising comfort when you're awake so surprising that when concerned people ask how's your pain how much pain do you have do you want pain medicine the word pain this is a contingency suggestion the word pain becomes a trigger for even, one of my favorite words, even more comfort. And finally, uh, really rapid wound healing, really rapid wound healing, which I say faster as a metaphor. And then I'll put some rapid running bunny through the dry field and you know pound that in. And then afterwards, again, here's an important caveat. And I have a, a doctor colleague of mine experiencing this right now. Uh, you have to tell them if the surgeon says, come back to get your staples or sutures removed in 14 days, tell them you're on vacation in 14 days. Would you mind if I came in on day 11 or 12? Because again, the healing happens so fast um, that uh, if you waited the full time, they'd have to dig out uh, the sutures. So here's what happened with Rosie, just so you know. A four to five hour normally, or say, let's say three to five hour hemicolectomy, because it was a perfectly dry field, according to her surgeon, Dr. Gandhi, with whom I spoke, the surgery took two and a half hours. She woke and was comfortable and stayed comfortable taking only Tylenol for the entire post-operative uh, course, acetaminophen, uh, for the entire post-operative course. And... Um, here's the thing that's a little gross, and I, I hope your non-medical people will uh, excuse me, but you did say the word, Jonathan. Um, normally, the bowel shuts down and slowly wakes up, and uh, people pass gas on day uh, one or two or three and have normal bowel movement on day 
two or three or four. 12 hours after surgery, she had a normal bowel movement. And seven, seven zero hours after surgery, her wounds were completely healed, completely healed. And she was discharged from the hospital. So this is what, this is your intrinsic healing capacity. It's mine, it's your listeners. You all have that. And what happens here is that an authority reaches in and takes the ideas that we probably all had in our in primeval time and puts them back in your head and says, this is possible, do it. And it gets done. Uh, massively. You know what? I, I really love the fact that, and I know viewers and listeners, just look at, if you're hearing this on a podcast, you'll get the tones and inflections in Steve's voice. But then, as well as visiting his website, as well as going and getting the book, go to the video channel link underneath and watch the interview as well. Because his body language and facial expressions of sincerity and certainty and experience of having done this so many times will help instill into you the fact that this is not just some words or claims on the page of a book, because I'm sorry, there's far too many bloody books out there in our industry that make grandiose claims, and yet you never see the person who wrote them providing any proof they've genuinely done that shit in the real world. This is completely different. The fact is, medical doctor using this in the real world, even if you're not in that arena, you can learn so much from this for therapy. Um, so yeah, we covered dry field stuff there and uh, lost. Pre-surgical comes into that. In, in, I'm going to ask you a random question that doesn't seem connected to the book, but I wanted to ask it you because it, I believe it is linked with the book. I said that I would rate this as one of the top three hypnosis books I've ever read. I'd go further and say it's one of the three most important books that I think any psychological talking therapist or indeed holistic or complementary medical therapist or even conventional medical practitioner could read. This would be one of them. Uh, one of the others would be Maxwell Maltz's Psycho-Cybernetics, which of course you do mention in there. And another would be The Biology of Belief, Dr. Bruce Littman. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. What are your views on... Um, not necessarily that book, but the whole field of epigenetics, the, which it's effectively mind over body, isn't it? Which you refer to as noetic medicine in your book. Right. Um, <clears throat> well, it's a pretty broad question. Let me, let me uh, tackle the easy one first, belief. Mm -hmm. And then I, I uh, head over to epigenetics uh, after that. Um, so, uh, I have his book right behind me over there. And I have to say, it's a beautiful book, but I think he's uh, uh, wrong. And he acknowledges that in the second edition, actually. He's wrong as to the nature of belief. And I spent a lot of time um, exploring this without naming uh, Bruce Lipton in my book. What, what powers uh, these various phenomena, that hypnotic phenomena we're talking about, is not belief in my view. And I, I, I think I, I at least 
deductively prove that out. There's only one belief <clears throat> that actually matters. And it, it, it's in consequence of the uh, instinctive hardwired circumstance of finding oneself helpless and dependent. Because then you're, you're instinctively searching for the one least uncertain, the authority, and you will um, vest authority and identify with that one. And that is hardwired in the human species and it has been, we can imagine for, for millennia. If you want to talk about belief, it's the belief that that's the one. That's the only thing that matters. And I go into great detail, but look, it's not my belief. Most of the things I did for the first time in the emergency department, normalize heart rhythms, reduce dislocated shoulders, um, you know, all of the various phenomena I lay out there, open airways, relaxed birth canals, and so forth. I didn't believe that was going to work at all when I said it. Although I had learned from Milton Erickson, and I know you teach this too, exude confidence. So I was exuding confidence while I was cold sweating, is this going to work or not, right? Um, two things were exuding. So I don't, I don't credit belief, and I just finished a chapter on nocebo effect with the great uh, Dr. Joan, uh, Wayne Jonas, where we go further into uh, debunking that, that theory. Um, it's authority and rapport and linkage that drive hypnotic phenomena to uh, occur. In terms of epigenetics, though, here's the thing all your listeners will want to know. And I think this is uh, really important because one of the most common curses out there, even though it's been uh, uh, disproved, people were taught this 20 years ago. Uh, and all the doctors who were educated 20 years ago are still talking this talk. Um, genetics is destiny. They're taught genetics is destiny. So you need to know this. If you have identical twins, identical twins, the same genetics, and one of them has Parkinson's disease, the percent likelihood the other twin will have Parkinson's disease is 5%. In other words, 95% chance they won't. Genetics is not destiny. And uh, the reason, as you indicated, is uh, because we have these epigenetic phenomena and those phenomena are subject to, in addition to other influences, they're subject to our thoughts. And so our thoughts, and we know, we've known this all along because every single randomized controlled clinical trial since 1949 to yesterday, has demonstrated that ideas, the placebo suggestion is an idea, that ideas influence physic physical outcomes, many of which are genetically, so-called genetically determined. And what are those ideas doing? They're influencing the epigenetic regulatory pathways. And so um, it's, it's, a, it, it's a much less simplistic, much more complicated a world where ideas, or as I say, noetics matter, and they matter enormously. Here's the big mistake, if, if I can just go. Please one. do, yeah, yeah. People believe that because the fundamental building blocks of, of the organism are material, that only material causes can affect the system. 
but there's nothing, and this is from Bertrand Russell, but there's nothing that says that there can't be material causes from below that exert regulatory influence and the emergent properties, thought, wish, hope, dream, goal setting, intention, emergent properties from above likewise downregulate the system and have uh, equally uh, determinative effects. The one is an exclusive of the other. And we all know because look, we're doing it all the time. I think I'll raise my hand. Oh, look, a bunch of cells and molecules just came into view. We do it all the time. And so we shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't be dissuaded from what our common sense tells us uh, by a science that is immature and destined to grow. I, well, I made me smile a couple of times. It wasn't just what you were saying. It's the wonderful way with which you use gestures and movements. And some may say you've done NLP training, spatial anchoring. And there's a fantastic example of that in the book, Healing Beyond Pills and Portions, where you uh, may have to tell somebody um, that they've only got a 20% chance of survival, but rather than saying you've only got a 20% chance of survival, you put it across with spatial anchoring. Uh, I'll, I won't. Can you? I'll do it. Yeah, um, do yeah, but let me give due credit to my buddy uh, John Grinder because uh, while you know John didn't teach me this application, he taught me the necessary uh, knowledge to do this. So there's uh, you can imagine this goes on every day in every office all over the world. Um, the physician is charged with uh, informing the patient of both the risks and the benefits of any given procedure. And the big mistake they make is they don't distinguish between what linguists like Grinder call a specific referential index, which is you, the word you, and the general referential index, which is some people, somebody, some patients, there are those, others have, <clears throat> and so forth. So that's the first distinction that you have to understand and be very careful with the word you, it's like a dagger, it pins it right there. Um, and so make sure you're pinning the right idea, not the wrong idea. And then the only other thing you need to know is that I'll, I'll back up here is that I'll put risks over there and I'm gonna put benefits right here. And so let's say we're talking about uh, an antibiotic and I'll abbreviate risks and benefits. Uh, and the doctor saying it wrongly will say, well, here's the drug I want you to take. Now you need to know, you could have nausea and vomiting. You'll probably ha have a little upset set stomach that might go uh, away. Uh, you're subject to uh, the sun, so stay out of the, the sun. Of course, um, some people have uh, um, allergic reactions. So if you get hives, you make sure you call me with those hives and I'll take care of it. So it's a UUU curse and it's all directed right there. And it's very unfortunate because when this is not an antibiotic, but a discussion about cancer or something, um, the curses can be literally deadly. And I've seen that, literally deadly. So what I uh, teach is we're gonna put all the risks out there and the risks are gonna be risks uh, 
that others, some people, other patients, someone might have and might always implies the might not, right? Whereas here, I'm going to put you and the benefits, okay? And I'm also going to underscore with my eyes the keywords that, that, that I want to punch in, right? So it looks like this. Um, so I, I've given you the uh, prescription. Um, let me, uh, because you've asked for it, let me tell you what are uh, the risks and the benefits of this uh, because you deserve to know. So I've already set out my plan. I've got risks here and benefits here. Uh, let me speak to the uh, risk first. Now, there are some people who will have uh, uh, nausea or vomiting from this. And there are others who might have a, a reaction to the sunlight, the skin feels hot. And if that were to happen, they should know that you've got to get out of the sun quickly and we'll, we would change medications. And there's X and there's Y and Z. And some people have those too, although that's very rare, but it could happen. On the other hand, I have patients very much like you do really, really well with this and actually experience a smooth course and a very, very rapid healing. Now, I need you to take this for the full five days, but don't be opposed to surprising yourself. It's a double negative suggestion because some people discover they're better even after the first dose. Why don't you do this? Call me tomorrow and let me know how well you are. It's actually more accurate information because all medical information is statistical. We never know you. There, there, no, nothing describes the individual in our medical information. So what I'm doing is I'm saying there are these statistical probabilities and they exist out there. And then I'm offering uh, suggestions with my authority, with what I call underscoring and hand gestures. And they end up leaving feeling like, well, damn, I'm on the road to health already. And the odds of you getting uh, an untoward outcome, I would argue, are greatly reduced by that method. I, I have no doubt whatsoever. One thing that I've always taught for years, um, it's nowhere near on the scale of real world experience that you've had in the medical arena. But I used to get a lot of doctors come on my courses in England and I say, look, you know, when you give people the medication, it's very similar to what you just said. But I found that lots of, I found when I went to the doctor myself in the past, they might go, there's a seven day supply of tablets here, take them all and then come back and see me in a week and we'll see how you're getting on. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I thought, as I learned about hypnosis, I thought, well, that's implying that I need to go back in a week. That's right. That I might have to have something else done. Um, so I'd start saying to the doctor, couldn't you just say, look, here's a seven-day supply, and much as you've just said, practically the same, you're probably fine in a day or two, you're feeling a whole bunch better, but please do me a favour, even though you're feeling fantastic and much better, finish the course, and course. then give me a bell and let me know that you're fantastic and fine. Yeah. And, yeah. and they found that doing it that different way, they were getting well, they weren't having to spend as much time doing follow-ups either. Well, and I would say that um, anyone who doubts that has missed the lesson of placebo. 
It's as somebody can justifiably say, well, prove that to me. But the proof is mountainous. You know, there are, are hundreds of thousands of patients who have benefited from positive suggestions in all the placebo trials in the last seven decades. So the proof is, is already there. That for, for me, as you know, uh, the question isn't whether a physician or caregiver of any kind is going to do hypnosis. We all are. It's whether you're going to do it uh, right and help people out wrong and inadvertently curse people. Yeah, I, 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 I go into the placebo effect a lot in my courses now. So people who have my stuff who may not have 100% faith in it because I'm not a qualified medical doctor because I haven't got real-world experience in that arena, get the blinking book because you will see lots of similarities in what you'll have studied, but, but across from someone who's been there, done it, worn out the T-shirt, and he's still doing it in the arena that goes way beyond anything we're going to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis as a lay hypnotherapist, helping people with habits, addictions, fears, phobias, and whatnot. But these techniques that are in your book will still work applied to those fields as well, won't they? They will, for sure. And, and, that, and that is the immense power. Time's fast running out on us. We might overrun a couple of minutes. But I, I, I thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. Um, th thank you more so for writing. And I'm not saying it just because I'm interviewing you. It genuinely is, without a doubt. And that will lead me to one of my last questions, because I've got three more things. And I want to tick them off. Um, this has got to be, without a doubt, for like the emergency room, for caregivers, but for hypnotists, full stop. You've got to go and get this book, Healing Beyond Pills and Portions. But there was a book that prior to me having read this, I would have considered to have been the best book for the medical arena for rapid for rapid emergency room use anyway. Um, but that's dropped. That's no longer in the top three. But that book was Dave Alman's Hypnotherapy, which obviously, uh, as you'll be aware, he did teach years ago medical doctors and whatnot. And he did use very quick, rapid, just purely suggestion, you know, just What's your favourite pastime? Swimming, okay? Close your eyes just so long as you continue imagining your favourite days swimming in your mind's eye. You'll feel that discomfort becomes lower and lower with each second of the past. And that'd be like it, the entire process. And you, you've got numerous examples where, where you do that. I mean, I would argue your, your example, and I'd like if you would share it, please, of how you give pain-free um, injections to people is a masterclass in eyes open, instant hypnotic induction and suggestion from cold. It's a masterclass. So, um, yeah, it's very simple. It's uh, you need to know two things. Uh, the first is that, and I think this is is not well understood in hy hypnosis circles. Uh, and certainly was missed by the Ericksonians who talk about confusion technique. Um, they, they, they misconstrued what happens. Um, generally, your attention is scattered. And the first job of uh, the hypnotist, one could say, is, 
is to focus that attention from say six or seven bands to a single band. And there's nothing does that better. There are many ways to invoke it, but nothing does it better than confusion. And so anything that uh, confuses someone will focus them down. It can be a pattern interruption, like a handshake induction is just a pattern interruption. You can interrupt syntactic patterns and do the same uh, thing, but confusion will focus attention. And a question, asking a question, always creates at least a momentary confusion until the answer is found. And so the attention span focuses in. So that's the first thing to know. Uh, you've got to get their attention and concentrate it. And the second is that when you're in one, uh, when that one band is focused on a single sense, sensory modality, say uh, visual or acoustic, it will not, cannot, because there aren't other bands, it be focused on tactile or kinesthetic uh, sensory input. And that's all you need to know. So how do I confuse someone? And how do I sustain, once they're focused, sustain that focus in a visual or acoustic or cognitive mode so as to prevent them uh, going into a tactile or kinesthetic mode? So you can say, uh, for, I'll give you an example. So I'll walk up to someone and I'll say, and they know they're gonna get a shot. And I'll say to them, uh, you know, I can handle everything out here, but I really need you to handle the inside while I handle the outside. Oh, the doctor needs something. How am I gonna do that? What's he talking about? I'm beginning to focus it in. And then I'll say, there's going to be a peculiar sound. And you could say this to anyone. It's not a sound, it's a peculiar sound. So now they're starting to begin to listen and these bands of attention are focusing in. And I need you to tell me not when it begins. So I presupposed it's already there, but rather when it ends. And that is important. Oh, the doc just told me it's important when the sound ends. And then I use the magic word out of the hypnotic lexicon, just, you know, which means and nothing else just listen. And then I watch them. And if I'm not satisfied that they're completely absorbed, I'll call them out on it and say, no, I mean, really listen. So using really, which cast out on the antecedent. So <clears throat> just listen, really listen. And now they're becoming completely absorbed. And I give the injection and, and because there may be a little residual sting from the medication, I'll say, remember when it stops. And what I found is this challenges a couple of things. So, you know, we frequently think of auditory hallucinations as a deep trance phenomena, blah, blah. But half the people who I do that to, which and this is now hundreds of people, or maybe thousands, um, will turn to me and say, yeah, you know, that was strange. What was that, a crunch or something? So they, they actually hear the sound. You can do the exact same thing, visual or cognitive. Visually, I'll say, I need you to look over there. And this is really important. You have to be earnest, right? Wow, the doc thinks it's important. I better do this. I need you to look over there at that orange circle square. There's no such thing as a circle square, but I've got an object out there that's square and it's got a circle inside it. And if you don't have that, find something else. Look at that orange circle square and tell me when that 
uh, gauge moves up or down. And I know it will, but tell me by how much. And then the magic word, just look, eh, really look. And so now they're 100% absorbed visually. I'll give it, and then I'll pull it out. There might be a little residual staying. I'll say, you're looking, aren't you? And then it's over. So that's simple. Other, you can do cognitive exercises as well. Have them calculate or mix colors or whatever. But the, the, the uh, underlying precepts are so simple, you can extemporize over those any way you like. And that is the extreme um, power of the lessons to be learned from your book is that it's so short, sweet, simple, direct to the point. It is pure suggestion, although you do allude to longer length hypnotherapy style sessions for things like painless childbirth of course which is my final question um just so that people don't think everything's a well that's mega quick he's claiming everything um you do use more of a conditioning several session approach to things like uh, painless childbirth i take it yeah well i used to um i i'll tell you i do use uh, multiple sessions for people with um difficult medical problems that other physicians have been un unable to solve and that my practice consists primarily of people who have tried this, that, and the other, spent hundreds of thousands, seen every specialist, and now they come to me and I'll ask them, why today? Could have gone away two weeks ago, three weeks from now. Why do you still have it? Why now? Just guess. That all-important word, just. Just guess. And then I'll spend between three and eight sessions fixing them. And so that's common. What I learned just this last uh, couple of years so I've been doing uh, my, my routine for pre-surgical. And I noticed that these pre-surgical patients who normally might have, like Rosie, seven days of quite severe pain postoperatively, they don't have any. And I've seen them once. So that suggestion for delightfully surprising comfort has persisted. So now I've really shortened and gone away from the Ericksonian and other uh, techniques. Uh, uh, you know, uh, glove anesthesia and transfer it in. And I've learned that with a session or two uh, for obstetrics, I can have them enjoy just, just the right amount of pressure that they want, scale from one to 10. How much pressure do you want to feel? You don't want to miss it. I know that. But again, you don't need to suffer. You want to wonder. Again, it's just joy watching your body language at the same time as hearing you say it in the voice tones. Yeah. Uh, so people who are on the audio podcast platforms, go to the link below and go and watch the video because you've got to see that it just it, it's a masterclass in congruence of the body language and voice tones. I'm sorry, I've just got to say that you, you're so bloody good at this, man. Well, thank you very much. I'm I'm uh, so old and so practiced, uh, and that's all it takes, really. Is uh, as you know, it's it's practice. You know, you you catch your mistakes and then you improve upon it the next time. And so I, to finish that, I found that if I have a time or two, depending on trust and uh, getting them to the point where I really feel uh, that my authority is enhanced. As you know, in the book, I talk about the only purpose of trance in clinical uh, practice. The only purpose is to enhance authority. Uh, 
You can use hypnotic phenomena to further enhance your uh, authority, but that's what you're doing. Otherwise, you can sit there and tell stories and have a profound effect on people. And let, let, it'll take a little longer for the story to drizzle in and have its uh, the most potent effect. But meta metaphors are, you know, why do all the great sages end up telling stories at the end of the day? It's because they've realized, you know, the, the power of that. But trance is very, very useful to quickly enhance authority and make my ideas their idea. And my idea in the case, for example, of uh, obstetrics is a, a generously open birth canal, all the imaginable metaphors, and delightfully surprising comfort through and through, right? And the word pain will trigger even greater comfort and things like that. I can do that all generally in two or maximum three sessions with a, a pregnant female and she'll have a wonderful course, a wonderful course. And um, it's just, you know how it is. It's you, you work and you refine techniques as one success teaches you other possibilities and, and you move along. Look, we're going to have to wrap this up. I wish I could speak with you all day. I have so, so enjoyed the past hour. And um, yes, I've read the book, but the but being able to hear you and see you explain some of the stuff is worth its weight in gold. But people, get yourself to the links below straight away. You will see it's healingbeyondpills.com. Com. The links are on there to go and get the book, but or you can just jump to Amazon. Um, the audio book's available as well. I say as well because then you can listen to it, but you need to read it as well and take notes. Get yourself on YouTube to the links that's below. There's a five-hour video on Steve's YouTube channel from day one of a, a seminar that he did for uh, medical doctors and caregivers and whatnot. And it, 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 it's... You've got to go watch it, basically, is what I'm saying to you. Um, if you think that there's been gold in the past 60 minutes, go and watch that link in five hours while you're waiting for Amazon to deliver tomorrow morning your copy of the book. Dr. Steve Beerman, thank you. It has been an honour, a privilege and a pleasure. Um, what have you got planned for the future? I hope this is not going to be your last book. I'm waiting for the next book. I'm waiting for whatever. What, what have you got coming along? The next book is called Cures. And it actually goes into the details of how to discover uh, the underlying causes, those four categories you mentioned, and then protocols for treating those uh, various uh, causes so that we can get to cure, not just the end of certain symptomatologies, but rather get to cure so people can get on with their lives and make healthy decisions. Uh, when can we expect that to be out? Sorry? When can we expect that to be out? It's probably two, two, maybe three years from now. I'm working on it uh, as we speak, but uh, I, I want to, as I as I go through it, as I'm sure you can imagine, I want to finish up certain cases and be able to weave those cases into into the book. So it's going to take uh, at least a couple more years. Cool. Well, uh, it'll be like that. I, I cannot wait for it. Thank you so much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, metaphorically out there, you may not be able to hear it, but if you believe in energy and all that kind of stuff, you'll feel it somehow. Um, show your appreciation, support. Well, I'll tell you the best way to do it. Jump on Amazon and order. 
Healing Beyond Pills and Portions by Dr. Steve Beerman. You will be delighted of that, I personally guarantee you. Thank you very much indeed, sir, for being our guest on Hypnosis Week, episode 105.